Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Future of Work podcast series. My name is Ellen Wong from Leeds University Business School and your host for the show. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Stewart, Career Consultant at the University of Leeds, and I'm linking with LOPS here at Business School. In the last episode, I was joined by my co-host, Mark, who's the Korean consultant here at Leeds University. We've opened up the discussion on how AI is impacting current recruitment process and why they adopted by some of the global firms. I hope everyone who's listening has enjoyed our conversation. In today's episode, we would like to continue to focus on this theme to explore further with an industry practitioner. So we have the pleasure to invite one of our alumni, who is graduated from MSc International Business in 2017. Since graduation, she joined FDM as Global Project Lead. So welcome back, Lara. It's great to have you on the show. Hello, everyone. Lovely to be here as well. Really exciting. Great. So, Lara, before we start to explore the topic of the future of work, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and how your career started with FDM, please? Yes, sure. Um, So obviously I graduated in 2017 with my master's from University of Leeds. And as you probably all know, doing my master's, I was applying as most people to loads of graduate programs. Um, And I actually secured a job back in Germany because I'm originally from Germany. So I started as a client service executive for a programmatic advertising company. And that's when I realized I quite had a passion for the IT industry. So then I was still looking for jobs back in the UK because I did miss the UK and wanted to come back. So um, I joined FDM in 2018 as a graduate recruiter and university partnership consultant. So I was taking people through who wanted to pursue a career in tech um, for our consultancy program. Um, And then since then progressed into different roles and now actually I'm a global project lead. So I'm looking after implementing our new application tracking system, kind of like the full cycle from the implementation to the testing to going live um, and the after support as well. That's fantastic. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Lara. Uh, it's great to hear about your career path, but also it's great to know that UK is attractive enough for you to return here as well and to, to start your career. Um, so for someone who's been working within the recruitment industry, let me start by asking you, are there any AI or technology trends that FDM follows in terms of selection and recruitment process for graduates, please? Yes, sure. So there's actually quite a few AI and technology trends that we're using within our recruitment and selection process. So firstly, as I mentioned, obviously, we have a new application tracking system, which allows us to use more real life data to analyze candidates to get a better overview for them or about them, but then also help them to find the right career path. So like the data that is involved is quite a high standard now, which helps, obviously. Um, But then also, if you look at the system as well, it actually recommends jobs to candidates that might be interesting uh, to them based on certain parameters. So that obviously helps kind of like giving a good overview about the different roles, but hopes hopefully also narrowing down what kind of roles we have and what kind of roles are actually suitable for the candidates. So that's where kind of like the AI aspect comes in, obviously analyzing the candidates, what they applied for before, but also what other roles are quite similar to them. But then there's like obviously quite a few, so I'm just trying to cover all of them. So it might be quite lengthy. 
we also have like the opportunity to have like a talent pool analysis. So what that means is we can overall run a report on different skill sets and also see or match them automatically to certain job descriptions as well. So that helps us finding the right talent rather than quite manually going through all the CVs that we get, trying to identify the right talents. Obviously that's like a really big help for us as well in terms of that. Um, and then the other aspect, not necessarily AI related, but technology related is the automation. So obviously we wanna kind of reduce any kind of human errors that can happen. We want to reduce the admin time for recruiters as well, so that they actually have more time spending that with our candidates to have that human touch. So there's quite a lot of automation happening in the background from interview sheets being populated automatically, putting them straight away into folders, um, emails sending out automatically based on certain kind of stages they are in the recruitment process. So there's quite a lot of automation that is going on in the background, which helps mainly our recruiters that they have more time to actually spend um, with the candidates, because I think that's quite important in a selection process, because it can be quite a scary situation to go through. So I think that's really helpful that actually our recruiters have more time. Um, and then one quite different aspect as well is actually our CIO, Jonathan Young, is conducting conducting research for his PhD and he is analyzing our candidates with the help of AI and their thoughts about technology but he's also looking into the trends that he can see so if there's any certain groups that are not completing the video interviews what will that help us to do does it mean we can actually change our recruitment process do we need to be more open-minded to obviously make sure that they know what kind of um, like additional support to have as well so we are really positive that those insights that we get from his research will actually help us and help the candidate experience as well. So I think overall, there's quite a lot going on. But if I would have to sum it up, obviously, in terms of the selection and recruitment process, it's definitely heavily changing around AI, data and automation. Absolutely. This is definitely going on. <laughs> this is so much going on there. Uh, thank you for some sum up, uh, you know, a few important points. Um, I'm going to pass it on to Mark. I think he's made a lot of notes and I'm sure he's got a lot of follow up questions to ask. Hello, Mara. OK, so some of the some of the questions I've got are feedback from students that I see one to one in the group. So the first one is obviously about hints and tips for the application. So what, what would your sort of hints and tips be for the students when they're applying? Um, especially with that process in terms of the AI process? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that the CV is well-written and structured and don't do too much like fancy stuff, I would say as well, because I think especially where our AI is going at the moment, it might actually hinder people. Obviously, obviously we always still check everything, but if they do make a really fancy CV and like the information is just anywhere, um, so just having a real well-structured CV, obviously, especially in our kind of industry, it might be different if they apply for different roles, but obviously a graphic designer probably needs to have a nice fancy CV. But like other than that, it just needs to be real, really well-structured CV. Excellent. And the other thing is you mentioned about sort of emails being sent out, you know, automated. Is that at every stage of the process or is that just sort of after the application stage? It's definitely after the application stage, but also throughout the recruitment process. I would say, for example, those that don't need necessarily be amended, like 
preparation for video interview. Obviously, in terms of audit, we need to make sure that we do provide the same information to each candidate so that it's also equal for everyone. So those ones are automated, but then anything else that is more on a personal level. So for example, when I talk to candidates, I make sure that they get all the information for the different roles that I find quite suitable for them. So obviously those ones are still personalized, but anything that is quite equal around every candidate, they get like an automated email. Excellent, good. And can you just explain a bit more about this sort of human element? So you're saying it gives you more time to the sort of recruiter. So when, when does the human element come into the sort of process after the, the initial application then? Um, so within FDM, obviously, it's the case that um, they apply, we then screen the CVs, checking that everything is still good and good to go ahead. Then we do actually schedule a telephone interview just to learn a bit more about the candidates, but also for us to learn a bit more about them. Um, and they also get a chance to ask us questions. So that's where like the human element comes in equally in the next stages. So for example, the video interview, we do give them an introduction on the phone as well to what they can expect from the video interview. We still review all the video interviews. I know there's some AI technology out there that does it for people, but we are a bit reluctant to do that. Um, so I'm not sure if it's gonna change in the future, but at the moment, there's still that human touch to that as well. Um, and then obviously further down as well with our online assessments and like the final stage interviews, that's all still like we prepare them beforehand. We give them full calls, we keep up with them. If they need any extra support, then obviously we do have a call with them. So we still have quite a lot of calls with our candidates to make sure that they're well prepared and that they feel, feel supported throughout um, the recruitment process as well. Perfect. So um, I guess the next question I have is around the uh, the topical <laughs> subjects of a global pandemic. Uh, I mean, in the last episode, Mark and I talked about the global pandemic and, you know, such a phenomenal impacted and, and, and affected the solution, the selection of, and recruitment. So my question is, how does this global pandemic really affected the selection and recruitment process at your company, please? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I would say every company was affected by COVID, um, same with FDM, and we did actually had to move all of our recruitment process, obviously, virtually. Um, and even though they've been now almost coming out of the pandemic a bit, um, we still continue doing everything virtually. So beforehand, it was the case that obviously the application was online, the video was online, and then they attended an assessment center. And the assessment center would normally take place in Leeds, London or Glasgow in our office. Um, we have now taken that out um, and actually we've done it, I would say, I think it was within a week or something since the pandemic happened. We had to obviously act really quickly on that. So everything was moved online and in the beginning it was the online assessments and the um, interviews in one day. But we also then obviously took feedback into account from candidates and actually moved that into two separate parts because they said, obviously, like you do get fatigue when you're just on your screen all the time. And obviously you want to perform really well doing an assessment center. And they fed back to us. They're doing the online test on the screen, plus the interviews was actually quite lengthy for them. So now we actually have the online tests first. And if they pass them, they then invited to the final stage interviews. So therefore, it's a bit shorter that one day. So the assessment center is now actually called final stage interviews because there's only a business introduction and three short interviews. So it should be done within half a day. But I would say that was like the main changes to move everything virtually. And I think the feedback was actually really positive. 
because obviously it means they don't have to travel, people don't have to get up early, get on a train, and then obviously already feeling exhausted while they get into the office. And then it can be quite intimidating seeing an office as well. So yeah. I think overall, I think it's actually been really positive, um, the change um, that COVID had brought in terms of our selection process. Okay, can I ask a follow-up to that? And this is, this is quite an interesting one. So over, over the last sort of couple of years, when I've met with employers and, and sat with sort of professional bodies in the ISC and people like that, I think the one thing that sort of employers are quite keen to get back to in terms of face-to-face would be the assessment center and the final interview. Do you think, do you think that's the case with you, yourselves as well? I appreciate we're going hybrid and a lot of work from office. That, that was always going to happen. Um, but it just seems that that's the one sort of area of the selection and recruitment process that a lot of employers would like to get back to face-to-face. I know you've said out the office and the travel and other sustainability issues there as well. But obviously, if it's a future sort of colleague, to get them, like you say, to see, I know the office can be daunting, but it's also something that I know our students are really keen to see as well. You know, the students always speak back and say, well, I would have loved to have gone in the office. I would love to have met with, you know, the staff and things like that. So do you think that possibly might be something you might be looking at? Um, so I think for our assessment center, for our graduate program, we're probably going to stay virtual, um, but we obviously got fed back that they would like to see the office beforehand so what we quite often do is like meet and greet so they can come into the office they have actually quite a lot of people coming they meet our sales team recruitment team the academy and so on because we do work on a hybrid base so internally we do are in the office three days a week but from the assessment center we did see that like the results are normally better for candidates as well so I don't know if it's a case that it's a bit more they feel a bit more secure in their own place. Um, but also if someone wants to come in and see the office, we can also meet individually with them. if They feel like it's actually really beneficial to see the office. So there's no restriction on that. But at the moment, I mean, I don't know, it might be different in a year's time, but at the moment, I feel like our assessment centers will stay virtually for our graduate program. Okay, that's good. I'm gonna just check. So, I know, cause I know obviously I've been lucky enough to come in pre-COVID and, and sit in, which I'm thank you for that. Um, so obviously they did the tests and then they do the interviews. So the situation in many is they do the test first, but they may not then progress onto the interview. So that it's, a, it's another sort of almost sift in your recruitment. Yeah, exactly. And it was always the case that they had to pass both stages anyway. So even on the assessment center. So for example, they could have passed the, final, the interviews like pre-COVID. Um, and didn't pass the test so then they obviously wouldn't be offered a place so therefore we have actually um, like moved it obviously into parts almost um, which again actually seen more positive results because obviously they, they can actually prepare for the tests first focus really on the test being aware of what's happening and then hopefully if they're successful then also be invited to the final stage interviews and know that they only need to prepare for the interviews so again even though it is kind of like obviously like another part to progress it hasn't really changed in terms of the parameters i can ask one more sorry is that okay yeah, of course yes, yes go for it um, i mean this isn't this hasn't necessarily happened a lot recently but certainly when we first went into lockdown it was probably because it's new to everyone you know i was working with a lot of students who you know you do the mock interview and then they would come back and say oh the, the wi-fi went down and it took, i just freaked out and the rest of the day was awful and i'm just wondering if you know a if that situation happens again what your view of that is so if the wi-fi goes down they just can't get back into a you know into an interview can they then sort of reapply for that interview or if they come back half an hour because obviously it's very tricky i know you're working to a sort of timeline but you know a they're going to be really flustered they were really flustered by that 
Um, I just wonder what the sort of the feel was for that. Because again, a lot of students' feedback is, oh, I know I've done badly. I'm going to fail this because I was I was locked out by my Wi-Fi or whatever. And obviously it wasn't their fault. So I just wonder what the sort of situation was there. Yeah, I think with the Wi-Fi, technology is technology. I don't think it's going to always be 100%. Um, and I know it's obviously sometimes also a barrier for people. So we had it before where people obviously they lost the internet connection or like the the energy anyways went down for the whole house so like the laptop died and so on which obviously they can't really make any difference about even if they were well prepared for um so for us it's just important to let us know we then actually booked them onto like a different interview um day or something depending on what they want so i think it's always important if they say no i just want to get on with my interview i want to get it done then obviously we can hopefully make the adjustments depending on how much you missed off the day um but if they say actually that has just thrown me off totally then i think it's better to be honest about it um in our case and we then just booked him on to a different interview because we want them to perform to their best of ability as well so there's yeah i don't think it really is otherwise fair to just be like yeah you missed your chance now just because the internet went down so yeah, we definitely just say, talk to the recruiter, be honest and explain the situation. And then we would find the best solution for, for both of us. Thank you. That's really good to know, isn't it? I think that's one of the things a lot of students um, perhaps misconcept and misunderstood is that once they miss their chance, they think that's it, you know, they've, they cannot talk to the employer and they've completely missed their chance. And which, you know, it's, it's really good to, to hear, Lyra, that that's not the case. And, you know, certain justification can be made to, uh, to, to such circumstances. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of refer to the last episode again because Mark brought in uh, something really interesting in terms of AI and gamification as part of a selection process within the recruitment industry. And my question to you, Lara, is really I wanted to know, um, again, Mark shared his insight in terms of the importance of, of you know, adaptation of such um, thing. My question to you is why do you think this is important um, to use AI and gamification as part of a selection process, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I think AI will definitely help to get better insights into candidates and their skill set um, because it can obviously give us a larger scale. It can like swift through quite a lot of details more quickly than a human can. Um, but also it will obviously help the candidates itself to find a more suitable career choice with less searching for them as well. So they actually can use that for their own kind of like advances as well. Um, and as I mentioned before, obviously it will also help the recruitment team to actually focus on the candidates and build those relations, relationship instead of using their time on like heavy admin tasks. And that also then obviously hopefully helps the candidate to perform better because they feel more welcome. They feel like, oh, I'm actually understood here. Um, so I think there's quite a lot of positives why obviously AI and in terms of gamification, it's definitely, I think where the world is going now as well, more people are more used to gamifications or games in general. So therefore they can obviously benefit from that situation that they feel again, more comfortable in that situation because they are aware of how games work and how can that can be tested around that. So I think there's so many positives around it as well that will actually help everyone involved, not only the candidates, not only the company, but also the recruitment team. So hopefully overall, it will be a better experience for everyone. 
Okay, I've got, just got one. Just got one here, Larry. Yeah, this the gamification is interesting. It's been around anyway pre-COVID as well. I was just wondering. You know, we're talking a lot about AR and VR now. Do you, do you, can you see a time when you may like FDM might be using sort of VR and AR rather than gamification and obviously the tests that you're you're doing currently? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I would love it, um, but we would also need to see how actually feasible it is, um, especially like VR in my head. I'm sure that's not quite right, but you just have the glasses on and then you can do all the tests. But how do you get the, obviously there's quite a lot of logistics things. How do you get those glasses out to the candidates? How will they actually do it? If everyone has their own VR at some point, that might actually be a situation 10 years down the future, maybe, who knows? Um, then I think it probably is something that's quite interesting to see that you then can potentially follow them and see what they do on a daily basis um, or something like that, where they have to solve tasks that they normally would do in a job. That could be something, but I think there's quite a lot of logistics and actually making it available for everyone as well, which probably will have some difficulties in there um, in the near future, I would say. And just, sorry, one other, I just remembered, just because, again, in terms of gamification, and this is probably, I mean, obviously, as a, as a career consultant, you're going to see people who, you know, need help and want to develop certain skills. And some of the feedback around gamification is that, you know, a lot of students wonder why it's been introduced. So that it, it's a little bit sort of, I know it's a tricky one, because I know pre, prior to gamification, a lot of students didn't like psychometric tests and the block of text and the, you know, lobby choice. And so obviously an employer had to think, okay, what can we do? We're looking at sort of the, you know, the Gen Z, the millennials, et cetera. So there's a lot of mobile technology will maybe move to gamification. But again, some of the feedback from the students is I don't actually like gamification either. So I know you said you see, I was looking at sort of research in the minute. Is that something that's been fed back to you as well? Um, not necessarily. We know obviously that's sometimes the case that depending obviously on their um, kind of like reasonable adjustments that we have to actually make something totally different. And that's what I would stretch to people as well. Like, talk to the company about it and um, if there's any reasonable adjustments because we had it before that they couldn't have any gamifications because it would just not work for them so obviously we then went back old-fashioned had like an actual spreadsheet where it was timed instead of like having all those flashy aspects um, but so far we didn't get too much negative feedback around the gamifications it might be because our gamifications that we use are relatively simple I wouldn't say they're too like crazy um, yet. So I think that might be the case. Um, but again, I would just say if people do struggle with it, just like talk to the employers about it as well, because then they can obviously see how can we make those adjustments. Um, but yeah, any feedback is always good as well. So um, I feel like we do get quite a, we collect quite a lot of feedback. So I would also say to people, obviously, try to be honest about it, because then that's where employers will then make a change, obviously, if they see things around that. Thank you. That's great, Lara. Um, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? And I mean, you know, you talked about the the trend with in terms of a AV um, headset because you know at the moment it's still deemed as a gadget, isn't it? And I think it's the trend with going forward is the changing from gadget to common accessory and in which case that you know we can um, almost streamline the process maybe more adaptation can be used from from that uh, one of the things that you mentioned is simply using simplified gamification as part of the selection so my question is that other than that is there anything else that FDM is different from other companies with the use of AI and technology in the selection and recruitment process? And if so, how so? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's quite difficult to tell if we're really different to other companies because obviously we don't necessarily know what they do on a large scale. Um, but I think we definitely want to kind of like bridge the gap between people and technology. And that I think is also reflected during our recruitment process. So even though we do use some aspects of AI and technology, we still have a large recruitment team that make those phone calls, that build those relationships, that watch the pre-recorded video interviews which then adds that human touch, which I think is quite a difference to quite a lot of companies where quite a lot of aspects is automated. You don't know who to contact. You don't have one contact person necessarily. You have like loads of different ones. And I think just having that kind of with the technology that definitely makes a difference. And I think that's where we potentially do stand out to other um, companies. The next question I want to go back to is something that Marks mentioned in terms of, you know, the human side of things. So what um, have been the consideration when comparing the use of AI and technology versus the human and emotional intelligence, please? Yeah, I think obviously with AI, especially it's still in his or kind of like in the infancy stages. So quite often the big question is obviously how good is it really? And will we be losing good candidates based on technology and AI just because they didn't have the best written CV, but actually they're really tachophene and would perform amazingly during the interview stages. So I think that's obviously a big aspect. How good is it? And you can test those systems, but you never know how good they really are. You can never, in my opinion, 100% trust them. Even if you think about some platform, streaming platforms that do use AI and they recommend something to you, sometimes it's quite all right. Sometimes I, I don't know where they get this information from. And I think that's obviously a big consideration as well in terms of how reliable is it? Can we actually trust it? And what do we do with people that, for example, do need like special or um, adjust or reasonable adjustments itself that probably won't be picked up necessarily by technology yet because it's so like in its infancy stages but I think that's where it kind of like we sometimes for example also see it that we watch a video interview it might not be the best but because they were really good on the phone we feel like oh we can actually give them loads of feedback we can coach them we can develop them we can help them where potentially if we just run an AI over it it probably would not be like nope that's not how it should be and probably would put it away so I think that's the thing like how reliable it is how much can be trusted and how can they actually pick up like the human aspects of it as well where we can see potential because I don't think AI can necessarily do that yet uh, in my opinion at least. Yeah I think that's really interesting isn't it and just going back to that I've got a follow-up question Lara if that's okay um, is the fact that do you think the current technology satisfies any special needs for the applicants or do you think that still needs um, a bit of a refining? Yeah I think obviously I did a bit of research on like the video interview technologies that like view it records it and makes kind of like based on that um, and I think sometimes it's not picking up every aspect. I think some companies that obviously develop those AI technologies for example for video interviews they will pick up some but I think because there's such a range in it as well, that it's quite difficult to make those adjustments for every person and it might miss out on good people. Um, so I think therefore that's where I would struggle personally a bit with because I do like that human touch and when I see someone is good or if I see potential, then I would like to give them a chance. Um, and I feel sometimes that might not be the case for all kind of like reasonable adjustments because there's obviously so many different ones as well and not everyone is the same. And I think 
that's where it might let let like where technology might let you down a bit Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's probably the trend going forward is to enable these technologies to be as fair and as sort of equal opportunity as possible to you know students or graduates or talent pool you know um with with a different special needs or special requirements right um and like you say perhaps we're not quite there yet yeah exactly and I think it is something that in the future I can definitely see but see there is quite a focus on diversity and inclusion but also on the technology making life easier um for loads of people as well so I feel like the technology will always develop um if I look back when I was a child there was nothing like this before. I think even the pandemic would have been really tricky for most people because we couldn't done anything really. Um, so I think we're not too far away from it, but I think there's still quite a lot of um, aspects that will be developed and getting better. Right. Um, so here comes to the last but million dollar question, Lara. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, you know, also, I'm hoping this question can be the takeaway point for all of our students from today's episode as well, is how can students or graduates best prepare for the selection and recruitment process, please, you know, given everything we've discussed so far? Yeah, I think really important is obviously that students need to do their own research before even applying. It's not a case, and I was probably a pronoun for it as well. Um, I applied just to loads of jobs because I was like, yeah, I need a job. But actually doing research before being really qualitative more around it than just being like, yeah, I applied for 50 jobs. Um, whether being like, okay, what do I really want to do? Where do I see myself? Um, and then research the company, figure out if that's a company that you want to work for. And also seeing the selection process and recruitment process, not only as like they looking for me, but I also look for the company that I want to work for because I think that's quite often forgotten. Um, everyone brings so many skills that everyone like, they're just so much in a person that just think about that as well. Um, in terms of what else they can do to prepare is part from obviously their own research. Also, obviously, looking at a CV, making sure it's structured, well-written, um, asking loads of questions, especially in our company. Um, we really want people to ask those questions that they're really interested in. Um, not just thinking about like, you don't get graded or scored for asking questions within our company at least, but it's more the questions that you really want to. If you don't have any questions, that's fine as well. But thinking about what you want to hear about the company itself. And then the one other aspect I would say is just making sure that you do read the emails that company sends you, making sure that you know what's expected of you, of a video interview, of the online assessments, of like in final stage interviews or assessment centers. And if you're unsure about anything, rather ask than just letting it to last minute and then be like, oh, I thought it was virtual. Now it's in person, but it's actually two hours or whatever it might be, just making sure to read all the emails. There might be quite a few that you do get from every company, but actually making sure those emails, you do read them because loads of them do provide loads of information as well. And then obviously the other one is actually making use of your career service, especially at University of Leeds. They have great career service. Um, so make use of them, like <laughs> you're paying for your education and you're getting the career service. Not every uni has such a good career service either. Um, so I would just make sure that you actually talk to them as well. And they have loads of connections to employers as well. So they actually know what's happening. in I would say quite a lot of companies as well in terms of the recruitment process, you actually can get more insights as well. 
I should say I didn't, I didn't pay you to say that. No, I think also I probably wasn't great when I was a student to use the career service, but now working with the career service, I'm like, there's actually loads of opportunities. So, yeah. You're certainly making up for it now because you're, you're, you're very helpful and fantastic input for me as well. So. <laughs> Can I ask a few follow-ups? Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, video interviews. So in terms of not the final interview, the video interview, um, you know, that's something that gets fed back to me quite a bit. And it's, it's usually because a lot of the students are prepped for that final interview. So they know all about the star and they know to sort of expand on answers. But of course, if you've got 30 seconds or a minute, that's not going to be the case. So do, do you have any sort of advice around, around that? Yeah, I think first of all, just making sure that not every question is necessarily best with a star technique. Obviously for competency-based questions, great. For strength-based question, probably not the greatest. So just making sure that people know what actually what kind of questions are asked. In terms of video interviews, um, you normally have a practice question in the beginning. So definitely make use of it because not everyone is used to like speaking just against the camera, seeing yourself. It can be quite daunting. Sometimes you can also have the option of making a blurry screen so you don't actually see yourself, which is actually sometimes also helpful. Um, but other than that, just having like a look at the time, maybe recording yourself beforehand um, on like a random question and seeing how long you talk. Because I think it's quite often we'd be like, oh yeah, I don't talk for long. And then like a minute later, you're like, oh, now like the minute is over and I was just at the end or in the middle of my sentence. So just actually doing some practice before recording yourself in front of a mirror, seeing how it works, obviously with any kind of like device and timing yourself. Um, it probably won't be the same questions, but some questions I would say they are quite generic and most companies will be asked like, why do you want this role? Or um, why are you passionate about like the industry that you're working for? They probably come up, I would say in most companies. So maybe record those and see actually how long someone is talking for because that quite often helps to filter out how much you can actually say in that short amount of time brilliant thank you especially about the star because that's always i think a lot of students think the star is the answer to everything and it's not so uh <laughs> yeah and <laughs> um, another one i've got is obviously pre-covid you know we have a lot of events on campus including yourself coming in and it was a great opportunity for students to come down face to face you know stand out i've certainly hosted events where students have you know, been offered something there and then because they've really shown themselves to be, you know, great research, great interpersonal, good personalizing of their, their questions. Obviously, the issue at the minute has been the fact that we're online, there's no webinars, it's almost three times as many people, you know, that could attend a webinar. And I think a lot of students are worried because they can't stand there. How do they stand out with a webinar? So, I mean, again, you know, we do give advice on that, but what would, what would yours be? Yeah, um, I think it's obviously more difficult to stand out, but asking good questions, um, making sure you listen for the full webinar. Um, I think those two are quite important. Um, I know it can be quite difficult sometimes to listen the whole time to a webinar, like then like an email comes in or a WhatsApp message or a new like on Instagram or whatever it might be. Obviously, it's quite difficult to just focus on the webinar, but if you booked in for a webinar, try to listen to the whole webinar because that actually helps you to understand the topic properly. But also then afterwards, asking those questions and then follow up with the, the person as well. So quite often, obviously, they share their contact details. It's always nice to hear back from people and just be like, oh, yeah, I attended your session. It was really great. Love the insights about this. If you're brave, you can also be like, oh, can we have actually catch up? I have some great ideas about it, or I have a few more questions. 
I'm sure loads of people would actually really like that and um, getting that feedback from people. And that's definitely how you could stand out as well. Good. Uh, I've got just one other, um, which might be a sort of takeaway as well, to be honest. Um, so at the minute, I'm doing some work on sort of tech roles for non-STEM students. Is there any sort of advice you would give to those sorts of students, you know, interested in tech roles but, but haven't taken the STEM subject? Um, obviously, with FDM, we do recruit from all different degree backgrounds, so you don't necessarily need to have a STEM background to be successful. The other aspect, obviously, like upschooling yourself in your free time, um, if you do have free time. Um, I know uni can be quite busy as well, but um, doing different aspects from like basic coding, um, going to, to webinars about technology, um, trying yourself. Because sometimes also you might want to think about a career in tech, but until you actually done some coding or programming or things like that, or web design or whatever it is that you have an interest in, it's quite difficult to understand if it's really for you. So I would say attending webinars, doing a bit of coding or programming yourself, um, attending boot camps, quite often there's some boot camps as well, um, and also seeing what all like what kind of roles are out there in technology as well, because I think. Everyone probably thinks about, oh yeah, if I go into IT, I'm going to be a software developer. But there's actually loads of roles in IT. There's not just that one specific software development role. I think at the moment we probably have around 10 different roles on our graduate program all around IT, some more business focused, some more tech focused. And there's just so many more and there's more coming up every year as well because technology is obviously evolving as well. So. I think those are like the important bits, finding out what career choices there are in IT and tech, and then also doing a bit of that role yourself in your free time to understanding if it's really for you. But also then, obviously, if you apply for a role in that, it shows that you have an interest in that, even though you doesn't or you don't come from a STEM background. Great, thank you. Well, what can I say? Time flies when you're having fun. Um, and uh, we are coming to the end of today's episode, sadly. So we have heard so much insight from you today, Lara. And uh, once again, we really appreciate that you've taken the time out to join us and share these useful information with our students. Thank you very much. It was lovely. Great. Um, so for our listenings, uh, listeners who are interested to connect with Lara, please feel free to contact her on LinkedIn. That's Lara Senhan. Um, and our next episode, we'll be discussing the future of work from an academic perspective, someone who's from the Digital Future at Work Research Center here at Leeds University Business School. It aims increased understanding of how digital technologies are changing work and the implications for employers, workers, job seekers, and governments. So stay tuned for the next episode. If you're interested in finding out more about this topic, please subscribe to our episode series. You're also welcome to get in touch with us by sending an email or book online appointments via my career website with Mark. Our contact details available in the episode description. Lastly, I shall leave you with this quote. The future of work consists of learning, unlearning, and relearning. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>